Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. You can take a seat. Thank you. Great to be back at Church Unlimited, and uh, great, great to be back with my, my, my friend, Pastor Tark. In fact, I'm his only friend. I don't know if he mentioned that. I'm his only friend. <laughs> Thank you. I love coming here. Normally when I come here, he pays me out for being Australian. So you, you witnessed a momentous event. He was nice to me then and said nice things. So I really, really appreciate that as well. But Pastor Tark is in his element uh, when he comes with me overseas. We have some incredible times in parts of the world that nobody else wants to go. To, to go. He, he wants to come as well and has a great time. In fact, last year we were in Egypt and we were having a conference together. And Pastor Tark really had an unusual anointing upon him and he was ministering very powerfully. But he had to leave early because he likes to be home on Sunday to be with you. But after he left, the whole conference deflated. And I had to stand up and say, just because Pastor Tark has left doesn't mean the Holy Spirit has left. And I had to work, I had to work really hard to get those people to concentrate on what I was saying because uh, when he left. So I just want you to know, this man is an incredible blessing to the nations of the world and really appreciate that. Uh, he is a great, great, great blessing. He moans the entire time we're away about, oh, I miss Adrian, oh, I miss Jody, I miss the kids. Never mentioned Sam. But he, 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 how he misses them all and doesn't like the plane trip, but when he's there, God uses him very powerfully. And by the way, when I walked out this morning, I thought uh, it was amazing. Your worship is at a whole different level. I've been coming here for about, I think about 10, 10 years or so. My hair was a lot darker back then. But I've been coming for 10 years here, and I've never experienced the worship at that level in the first service. I speak in many churches throughout, throughout the world, and in most first services, in most churches, it's quite dead. It's all the people, the religious ones, who want to get the service over and done with, and they endure the praise and worship to get the preaching over and done with. But this place is alive. This place is electric, and I encourage you, keep pressing in. Because if God can move in the first service of the church, wow, God is moving, and, uh, which is just wonderful. And uh, also encourage you to come, come back tonight if, if, if you're able to. I've, I've got a message called, You're Going Over, You're Not Going Under. And it's all about Jesus and the disciples in the storm. So if you're in the middle of a storm or you know some people who are in a storm, please invite them. It's a very encouraging message. And the title is, says it all. You are not going to go under. You are going to go over. You are going to prevail. You are going to overcome. You will break through. You will get to the other side. I can just close in prayer right now. There, there's, there's the whole, whole sermon. Just before we launch into the message, uh, just one thing to mention. Uh, I've written a book, and it's called Fear Proof. And what I do is I have a look at the, the most common thing that God says in the Bible. What's the most common command in Scripture? Do not need to, you do not need to be afraid. So what I do is I have a look at 20 Old Testament references where God spoke to someone to say, do not be afraid. And there are many fears in Scripture, like Hagar. She feared that she was all alone, that no one seed and no one cared. Or like Ezekiel, he feared that he was going to be rejected if he did what God told him to do. Or the widow of Zarephath feared that if she gave to God, she would have nothing left. 
So all of these are real fears that we experience, but it, it, it will teach us what God said about how we, how we can overcome that fear. Because God never said, just suck it up and be a real woman or be a real man. Not at all. What God said was, this is who I am. This is what I can do. And on the basis of revelation, you do not need to be afraid. So essentially, it's a Bible study. I've only, only brought 50 because that was the extent of my weight on my bag. I could hardly lift my bag uh, to, to, to check it in. So if you're interested, they're out, out there in the foyer. Okay, I want to turn your attention this morning to just two verses of Scripture. They're found in the book of Psalms, chapter 37. And in a couple of moments, I'll read it, be reading to you from verses 23 and 24. The book of Psalms, chapter 37. And in a moment, I'll be reading to you from verses 23 and, and 24. I'm going to do, do something a little bit dif different this morning. I think virtually every other time I've been here, what I've done is preach an expository message where I, I take a passage and unpack that passage but today, I want to do something really, really different. I want to share a real heart message, a, a personal message, a testimony message about my own life and journey. Look, if I was to ask the question, why am I here? Why do I do the things that, that I do? How is it that I'm now involved in preaching in the nations of the world? And I want to take you just on a, a little journey. And I, I need to encourage you, this message is not about Bruce. It'll be a very boring message. This message is all about just seeing the hand of God in the everyday realities of your life and experience. Because everything that you're going through at the moment is preparatory for what God is doing in you and also what God is doing through you. So this morning, the title of my message is Defining Moments. Defining Moments. For there are certain experiences and times and events that happen in our lives that define and shape who we are and why we do what we, we, we do. They are significant moments, but their effect lasts a lifetime. They become de 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 defining moments. And in this message, I want to share with you very transparently about some of my defining moments. Because if as Christians we believe in the sovereignty of God, then we must believe that things do not happen to us just randomly or indiscriminately or fatalistically. We have a sense that God is guiding our steps. God is establishing our path. And even if some things have happened to us beyond our control, and even if some things have happened to us by our own choosing, by our own impulsive and wrong decisions, the Bible says in Romans 8, verse number 28, that we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him. Or in other words, God has the capacity to either orchestrate or redeem any circumstance. I'll say it again. God has the capacity to either orchestrate or redeem any circumstance. So I want to start by unpacking this text, and then, then I want to share with you just four stories that became defining moments in my life and ministry. Because sometimes we, we can see the product, but we don't understand the process. Sometimes we can have a promise, but we don't understand that there is a process that we have to go through to see the fulfillment of that promise inside of our lives. So allow me to read to you Psalm 37, verses 23 and 24. It says, The steps of the godly are directed by the Lord, and He delights in every detail of their lives. And though they stumble, they will not fall, for the Lord holds them 
by the hand. So this verse says that the steps of the godly will be directed by the Lord. What, what are the steps? Well, when it speaks about steps in Scripture, it's speaking about the progress, the, the direction, the path, the very course of the life that we, we are taking. And this verse says that the steps of the godly. Who are the godly? Well, in Scripture, the, the, the people who are godly are those that walk with God, those who are upright in character. These are people who are seeking to do the will of God. These are people who are walking in the ways of God. These are people who are obeying the word of God. These are people who are aligning and integrating their whole life around the worship and the honor and the glory of God. So the verse is saying that our progress and the direction of people who are really aligning their lives with the purposes of God will be directed by the Lord. That if our life is integrated around the pursuit of God and godliness and godly purposes, then our steps will be directed, they will be guided, they will be ordered by the Lord. God will be at work directing the course of our life. And then it says if we are living like that, He delights in every detail of our lives. That God derives pleasure from our lives. Like a parent watching the totering first steps of a child, God delights in every part of us. Many of us think that we're a disappointment to God. Many of us feel that we are, we are letting God down. Many of us feel that our Christian life is a failure. But I pray this morning, your mind is renewed. That is now, that's not how God sees you. He delights in you. I've got a three-year-old granddaughter who's the center of my world, who's called Aria. Here's, here's a photo up here of Aria. I love this little girl. I love watching her. I love listening to her talk incessantly like her mother. I love watching her eat. I, I love everything about her. I derive pleasure from every detail of her lives. I mean, I'm just a natural grandfather. How much more does God Almighty, this great God of love, when He looks at us and He sees our lives pursuing Him, how much more does He not derive great pleasure from our lives? God loves to see the passionate steps of a person who is pressing on toward Him in the pursuit of His heart and His purposes for, for them. And this reminds me of that verse in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse number 17. This is what it says. The Lord your God is with you, and He is mighty to save. And He will take great delight in you, and He will quiet you with His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. If you've come to church this morning, and you've come to say, Lord, I need, need to hear from you, well, maybe this is the word of the Lord for you today in Jesus' name. Listen to it again. The Lord your God is with you, and He is mighty to save, and He will take great delight in you, and He will quiet you with His love, and He will rejoice over you with singing. It wasn't just you singing this morning to God. God was also singing over you this morning because of His great and mighty love through Jesus Christ. Then those verses get, go on to say, And even though we stumble, we will not fall, for the Lord holds us by the hands. And the image here is of a child slipping or stumbling as they're walking along. But the assurance of this great psalm is this. We are not going to fall face down. 
Why? Because like a child holding its parent's hand, God is holding our hand. God is guiding our, our steps. What does this mean, mean for us? There are times in this life when we will stumble. There are times of adversity and affliction and calamity. And all of us have got faults and fears and failures. And there are times when we are going through things that we don't understand why we're going through that, that circumstance. But here is the assurance. Even though we stumble, even though we're going through a difficult time, there is a hand that is holding our hand. And he's never going to let go. And he's never going to loosen his grip. He never loses sight of where he's leading us. He knows what he's doing inside of us. I need you to know today, there is a hand that is holding your hand. There is an unseen hand that is guiding your life. Maybe you feel like Job and you feel like you've been stripped of everything. Or maybe you feel like Joseph and you've been thrown in, in, in into prison. Maybe you feel like Jonah and you feel way out in the deep. You may be knocked down, but you are not going to be knocked out. Knocked out. What you're going through may be very painful, but it will not be fatal because the God that we serve is able to pick us up from our lowest moment and elevate us and pick us up to that highest place in His presence. Why? Because the steps of the godly are directed by the Lord and He delights in every detail of our lives. And even though we stumble, we will not fall for the Lord holds us by the hand. So I want to take you on a journey now to see how the Scripture is a reality in my own life and experience. And I just want to tell four stories that really show the unseen hand of God. Many years ago, I was at a staff retreat and we had this lady facilitator and she gave us all a piece of paper, and then she gave us a crayon. And at that point, my attitude was not good at all. And she said, I want you to draw two lines, horizontal and vertical, so you've got four, four quadrants on that page. Then she said, now what I want you to do is I want you to draw a picture that portrays a defining moment in your life and experience. I want you to draw a picture that portrays what you have been through in your life. And then we want you to explain to everybody else what that picture represents in your life and ministry. So I want to sh share, share with you the four pictures I drew on that day. Number one, the first thing I drew was what I call a defining scripture. The first picture I drew on that day was a map of the world. And it represented my call to the nations of the world. And so what happened was it was June 1987. And that's how I looked in June 1987. Long, flowing, black hair and didn't have glasses. And in June 87, I did my first ever missions trip. It was to, to, to the Philippines. When we were over there, we saw the power of God. We saw miracles. We laid hands upon people with goiters. They went down in our hands. We prayed for paralyzed kids, and they were running around. Deaf ears were open. Blind eyes were open. It was like everything I had prayed for all of my life. And then I went home to Australia, and I was struck by the lack of a power. And one day I'm walking around my lounge room and I'm pouring out my heart to God. And I'm calling out saying, God, I find it so hard to believe that we're going to reach the nations of the world. Oh God, there are one billion Muslims. There are one billion Hindus. There are 400 million Buddhists, let alone all the atheists and the agnostics and, and the animists. God, I just find it so hard to believe that we're going to reach the nations of the world. And when I'd finished pouring out my heart to God, I sat down to have my devotional reading. 
And that day, I read Psalm 46, verse number 10, that reads, Be still and know that I am God. But then it says, I will be exalted in all of the nations. I will be exalted in all of the earth. And when I read those words, they exploded inside of my heart. It was a word of the Lord to, to my life. I am going to be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all of the earth. And I remember vividly jumping out of my chair and, and leaping around that room, just going, God, I believe. I believe that we will reach the nations of the world. God gave me a scripture on that day that became a defining scripture for the rest of my life and ministry. And some lessons there are that God will sometimes give you a scripture at a key time in your life and experience that you will need to hold on to for the rest of your life. It becomes a defining scripture. It will sustain you in the difficult and uncertain seasons of life. It will give you faith. When all of the visible evidence is saying something to the contrary, it is that scripture that you can hold on to and stand on because it became a defining scripture. And what we need to do is hold on to those words and hold on to the quickened scriptural promises that God has given you. Hold on to what God has said. Hold on to the promises that He has given you because that scripture became a very foundation of why I'm doing what I'm doing today. Now at the time, 28 years ago, I interpreted that scripture in the paradigm I was in at the time. At the time, I was a very young, long, dark-haired youth pastor. And I thought that the only way that I could serve God was as a pastor. But every time I went overseas, I had an unusual grace upon me. I had a greater anointing upon me, a greater move of the Holy Spirit, a greater flow of the prophetic word and work of God. And I could never reconcile how I could pastor a church and at the same time have this great burden for the nations of the world. But I now realize everything I've been through all of my life was preparatory for this hour when that scripture became a reality in the call of my life and that scripture was absolutely pivotal. And at the time I received that scripture in 1987, I wasn't ready to fulfill what God was putting in my heart at that time. There was a long and painful process ahead, remembering that God is more concerned about what He's doing in you than whatever God does through you. I will say it again. God is more concerned about what He's doing in you than what He ever does through you. He's got to make the person who can be empowered to accomplish His divine purposes inside of our life. But that scripture became a defining moment. And I want to encourage you again. The steps of the godly are directed by the Lord. And one of the ways He directs us is through His Word. And He delights in every detail of our lives. And though we stumble, we will not fall, for the Lord is holding us by the hand. So on that sheet of paper, in the first corner, I drew a map of the world. But then num number two, the second thing I drew on that day was a tombstone. And I want to talk to you secondly about defining tragedies. So the second picture I drew that day was of a tombstone, and it represented the death of my brother David. And here's a shot of, 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 my, of my, my, my brother David just shortly before he died. This, this is what happened. 
On the 20th of December 1986, my wife and I were asleep in bed. And suddenly there was, there was a knock on our window. It was just after dawn. And it was surprising and alarming. And I said, who is it? And it was Barry, who was the assistant pastor of our church. He said, Bruce, can, can you come to the front door? I need, need to talk, talk to you. So I went to the front door and I opened the door and Barry is very normally is normally a very happy, easy-go-lucky, laid-back guy, but he looked intense and his face was ashen. I said, hi, Barry. And he said, he said Bruce, he said, David, my, 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 my brother, he said, David has just been killed in a car accident. And when he said those words, it was like someone got a sword and just thrust it into my heart. I physically felt a literal pain go right through me. Then my second thought was, my mum, my dad. And what had happened was the night before, he'd taken his girlfriend out to a work breakup party, and he drove her home, and as he dropped her off, he proposed to her. He asked her, her to marry him. And she said yes, and he must have been a bit too excited and drove a little bit too fast and went round a corner, hit an embankment, lost control of the car, and he died. So just after Barry told, told, told me the news, I told my wife, then I went to my parents' home, and I love my dad. To me, my dad is the greatest man in the world. And I walked into the lounge room, and he's walking around the lounge room with tears of grief running down his face, just going, Jesus, you are Lord. Jesus, you are Lord. And over in the corner, my mum is inconsolable. And I, I, I left that place thinking, God, this can't be right. This is a mistake. This is the work of the devil. God, this can't be right. Just give me the word and I'll go and raise him up. Just give me the word. I'll go and raise him. Such was the grief. And the night before his burial, I was lying in bed and I'm calling out to God, bring him back, God. Bring him back. And I was just praying in tongues as I went off to sleep. And in, in the night, I had a dream that is as vivid to me as what I can see here today. And in this dream, I was walking along this idyllic, pristine beach with golden-colored sand and crystal water just lapping up onto that beach and palm trees that are hanging over the top, an absolutely beautiful beach. My brother always loved the beach, but he had very fair skin and could never go to the beach. He'd get sunburnt, and it would be a, a very bad experience for him. And as I'm walking down the beach, I see this young man walking towards me. And as he got closer, I saw, wow, this guy's incredibly well built. What a physique he has. And my brother had always had a problem with weight. He'd look at food. He'd put on weight. He'd eat something. It would have an effect upon him. And as this young man got closer, I noticed that his face was just shining with glory. And my brother had always had problems with, with his skin. And as this young man got closer, I realized it was David. And he held out his hands and he just said, he said, Bruce, he said, I'm so happy. He said, I'm so happy. And even though we've been brought up in a wonderful home and even though we were loved by our parents, nothing ever went well for my brother. He'd buy a car, it would break down. He'd get a girlfriend, she'd break his heart. He'd get a job, he'd lose it. Nothing would ever go well. But here he is in the presence of Jesus and he's saying, I am so happy. And through that dream, what God was showing me was, he's with me, and he's safe, and he's happy. But then the next morning was the most difficult day of my life, where we had to go and bury my brother. 
And I was standing there at, at the base of the grave and my dad was inconsolable. And I watched as they took that casket and began to lower it into the ground. And as they were doing that, on the outside, I was incredibly quiet. But on the inside, I was calling out to God, not in anger, but what I was calling out was, God, make my life count. Oh, God, make my life count. Do something inside of me. Because it was like suddenly, through the vividness of death, I saw life in all of its per perspective. I saw that life was more than just living for myself. At the time, I was only 25 years old. But I looked back upon wasted years, and I realized I should have done more. I should have pressed in harder. And I called out, God, make my life count. And I want to say, friends, something happened in me that day that transformed my life. God gave me a compassion for people, lost people, hurting people, broken people, because I have felt that sense of loss. And sometimes, friends, there are things that we go through in our life that are unexplainable and unexplained. And there are lessons that, that we can learn, lessons like life is short and precarious and precious. Therefore, we need to live for God with every fiber of our being. Eternity is a reality and an inevitability, but how we live our lives right now is preparing us for e e eternity. All of us will go through times of pain. Pain is humankind's universal language. It was C.S. Lewis who observed, grief, he said, is the price of love. But I want to encourage you, no matter what you are going through, through this morning, and it may be unexplainable, and maybe you didn't choose what was happening to you or what is happening to you to happen to you, but you can make some choices today to say, God, I don't understand why I'm going through this. It is contradictory. Lord, it is a calamity, and I've got nothing to hold on to. And in those times when you feel like you're breaking apart, in those times of pain, you can lift your voice and you can say, God, I may not understand everything that's going on. But this is what I know. Oh God, you are good. And oh God, you are love. And oh God, you are kind. And oh God, you are powerful. And God, you are faithful. And God, you are merciful. And God, you're my strength. And God, you're living in me through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And oh God, you have my best interest at heart. And even though I don't understand right now, I say, God, I trust in you. I put my confidence and my, my trust in who you are as the living God. There's a well-known adage that goes, your negative circumstance can either become a tombstone or a stepping stone. It, it can either be, here lies Bruce Hills who failed to move on from the negative experience that he had, or I can say, Lord, I didn't want that to happen, but I'm trusting in you, and I'm going to use this as a springboard to go into a whole new level of relationship with you. Otherwise, we just become spiritual pygmies and we stay at the same level year after year after year. Remembering this, maturity is not the product of years. Maturity is the product of experiences. And even then, it's our response to those experiences that determine whether we really grow in the things of God or not, or we keep staying at the same level. And in this life, there are things that happen that are inescapable, that are inevitable and unavoidable. But it's how we respond to those at the critical time that determine what God is doing inside of our life. 
And I want to say, friends, God is good. And you may be in the middle of one of those moments right now. Perhaps you're in the middle of a divorce. Maybe at the moment your business is falling apart. Maybe at the moment you're struggling mentally or emotionally. I want you to know there is a good God that is for you. And you cannot see it at the moment. But there's a hand that is holding your hand. And you are going to come through. And you'll be a bigger and a better person in Jesus' name. Number three. On, on, the, on that page, so I, I drew a map of the world in the first quadrant, and I drew a tombstone in the second quadrant. But the third picture I drew was of a ghost. And the third defining moment was a defining encounter I had with a demonic presence that absolutely transformed my life. So I now want to transport you into the year 1995, where we had hairstyles that should have been banned. Have a look up here at this. Here it comes. Hairstyles that should be banned. <laughs> my mother loved me. My wife loved me. Anyway, despite that. 1995 was a very di difficult year. And the reason for that is I was disappointed in God. I had felt that he had given me a promise. And the reality was completely the opposite. I was believing and believing and had a promise and an expectation that was up here. But the reality was way down here. And because of that disparity, I was so disillusioned and disappointed with God, I didn't talk to him for a while. And I went into this, I went to this cruise mode. I no longer was pressing into God. I no longer was really hungry for God. I just went into the same level week after week after week. And with that background in mind, in August of that year, I was invited to the nation of Mongolia to speak at a number of uh, youth camps over there. Mongolia was a former so Soviet Republic. It's wedged between Russia and China. And when communism collapsed in 1991, there was only one known registered evangelical Christian in the whole country. Only one. Some, some, some missionaries went in there, began to preach the gospel, and within a short amount of time, they had a church of 1,000. They had 600 children. At the time, they had no Old Testament in their language. So when you're preaching about David or Abraham or Solomon or Deborah, they're on the edge of their chairs because they've never heard what you, ha you, 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 you have to say. I could, I could watch the clock. Okay, I've only got a couple of minutes left. So uh, we were there. Uh, and, on the, on, and they're on the edge of their chairs just listening to what, what you're preaching. And the reason I was there to speak at a series of youth camps. They'd never had a youth camp before. Now, Mongolia at the time was a Tibetan Buddhist country. Tibetan Buddhism is a cocktail of Buddhism and animism, the worship of forefathers and spirits. So it's a, a demonic religion where there's a lot of spiritual stuff that, that, that is taking place. So at this camp, I'm preaching with all my heart and nothing much is happening. And then one night, I really feel to preach the gospel. So I preach about Jesus, all about who he is and what, what he's done. And very few, few people responded, but eventually, hands went up to say, yes, I want to give my life to Jesus. At the end of that, I stood up and I began to pray for the Holy Spirit to move. I said, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, move. As I said, said those words, all across the congregation, people began to fall off their chairs. Not under the power of God, but under the power of demons. Their eyes would roll back in their heads. Their eyes would go white. And they would just roll off their chairs and fall on the ground. Completely unconscious. No idea what was happening at all. I turn to the missionaries and I go, what is this? 
He said, this happens all the time. He said, whenever we preach about Jesus, people open their hearts. But whenever we open, preach about the Holy Spirit, this, this is what happens. So he said, come over here. So we went over to one of the young men who was lying there. And the, our Mongolian translator said in Mongolian, come out in the name of Jesus. Spoke to the evil spirit in this young man and said, come out in the name of Jesus. The spirit spoke right back through him in Mongolian and said, come out in the name of Jesus. Then I said in English, come out in the name of Jesus. And this young man who couldn't speak any English at all spoke right back. The spirit spoke through him and said, come out in the name of Jesus with sarcasm and contempt in the tone of voice. I'm going, come out in the name of Jesus. And the spirit talks back and goes, come out in the name of Jesus. So I began to speak in tongues. And the Spirit imitated what I'd said. It said like that. And I stepped back and I said, I've never seen anything like this before. My theological training is doing backflips because I'm thinking this isn't supposed to happen. And I'm, I'm looking around the room at all these bodies on the ground. I've got an evil spirit that's imitating what I'm saying. And I thought, that's it. That's it. So I walked outside of the hall, and I began to walk, walk back to my cabin, and I'm walking along going, that's it. And I was just at the point where I was going to give up the ministry because I was no longer seeing the things that I actually believed in, and I thought, that's it. It's been a tough year. I was disillusioned with God, and I'm walking along, and as I'm walking back, I hear the closest thing to the audible voice of the devil I've ever heard. It wasn't audible, but it was very close. And this voice said, where's your power now, man of God? Where's your authority now, man of God? Just like that. And I'm walking along and I'm going, yeah, where's my power now? Where's my authority now? But as I began to walk back to my cabin, somebody must have been praying somewhere in the world. Because all of a sudden, the Spirit of God began to rise up inside of me. And I began to speak out, Oh, Jesus, I thank you that when you died, you died for Mongolia. Jesus, I thank you when you shed your blood, you shed it for Mongolia. Jesus, I thank you when you bore the sins, you bore the sins of Mongolia. I thank you that when you were raised from the dead, you were raised for Mongolia. I thank you that when you were raised, you were raised for Mongolia. I thank you that when you sat at the right hand of your father, that you sat there, Lord, for Mongolia. I thank you for what you have done. And then I called out at the top of my voice, I may not see what I believe, but I still believe it. As I said those words, as I spoke those words, this heaviness just went off my life. And it was like my eyes were opened. Well, the next day, I went back in, into that meeting, and I began to preach with fire. And I began to preach, there is only one name under heaven by which you can be saved. It is the name of Jesus. And you should have felt the confrontation and the power that was taking place in that day. Now, we didn't see all the breakthrough on that day, but something broke through inside of me. And I want you to know, friends, the very thing that the devil used that he thought he was going to destroy me is the very thing 
something that I now use when I come against him in the name of Jesus. I know who I am in Jesus Christ. I know who Jesus Christ is inside of me. I know that I have authority in the name of Jesus. I know that Jesus has dominion. I know that he's been raised from the dead. I know that he is the name that is above every other name. I know that as we stand firm in him, we have authority in him in Jesus' name. And I encourage you today to realize you may be here today and there may be some unexplainable things that are happening in your life and maybe at the moment you are feeling oppressed. I want you to know we're in the presence of the living Jesus and he is here and he can set you free. I encourage you to stand your ground and to realize there's a greater one that's living inside of you than he that, that, that is in this world. And there is a greater power that is for you than all the power that is against you. And I encourage you don't focus upon the devil, but focus upon Jesus and to realize he's with you, he's for you. And it became a defining moment in my life and experience. That's why I'm passionate to see people living in darkness at the moment being set free. That's why we go to the dark nations, because we know we are being sent. And as it says in Isaiah 60, the glory of Jesus is going to shine into those dark nations in Jesus' name. The steps of the godly are directed by the Lord, and He delights in every detail of their lives. And though they stumble, they will not fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. And in four minutes, I want to give you the last one. Number four is this, and that is defining unexpected changes. Defining unexpected changes. Back to the drawing. So I drew a map of the world, I drew a tombstone, I drew a ghost. But the fourth picture I drew on that day was of a church building. And it re represented a very negative experience I had at the last church I was pastoring. So I want to take you now to the year 2008, where I looked a, a little bit better. My wife says that I've improved, but I think her eyesight hasn't. Um, in 2008, I was pastoring one of the largest churches in Australia that is now Hillsong, Brisbane. I was having the greatest days of my life. The church was growing. We had a television program, schools program, engagement in the community, loads of young people. But what I wasn't aware of was that I was rapidly running out of emotional strength. I was spiritually good. I was physically fine. But emotionally, my gauges were very, very low. And what happened was I had a catalytic moment, and I came to the precipice of burnout. And I needed to take some time out to recover, to get my head and heart, heart together. And in my absence, some sinister things began to take place in the life of the church. So that when I wanted to resume my ministry, I had a bit of a, a rebellion on, on my hand. A, a couple of the people I trusted had turned against me and undermined me. And I had no capacity to fight them. I had no capacity to take that church any further. So I reluctantly resigned and finished in January 2009. And it was a very difficult and a very painful time. And your pastor was an incredibly great friend at that time. He would ring me, and I remember one time he rang me, and he was in tears. I was feeling okay, and he was upset. And he was just a great friend at that time. But I recovered very quickly. And in March 2009, I was walking around the block of our home, again, on the outside, silent, but on the inside, calling out to God, saying, God, what do you want me to do? I didn't see this coming. I thought I was going to be there the rest, the rest of my life, Lord. What do you want me to do? What's your will for my life? 
And the Holy Spirit spoke as clear as I've ever heard his voice. So I'm calling out, what do you want me to do? This is what he said. When I'm ready, I will tell you. (laughs) In other words, why are you worrying about what you don't have to worry about? I'm doing some stuff right now behind the scenes. I'm doing some stuff in you. And when I'm ready, I'll reveal it to you. In other words, I've come to the conclusion this is how God leads in our life. Silently, slowly, and suddenly. So if God is silent at the moment, that doesn't mean he's not working. All it means is you're not ready. The circumstances aren't ready. And then get ready because slowly things will begin, will begin to happen. And then suddenly the door will open. Nine months later, I, I, I get a message from Pastor Ong. You know, Pastor Ong the prophet. And he says, at Christmas time this year, God's going to open a door for you. That will be my new thing for your life. And my second thought was, well, what is there out there that I don't know about? On Christmas Day. I'm playing cards with the pastor of the church I was attending. He said, are you coming to church on Sunday? I wasn't, but because he said so, I said, yes, I'll be there on Sunday. (laughs) He said, there's a man I would like like you to meet. And the following Sunday, I went to church and I met John Elliott, who's the head of World Outreach International. And from that, God opened a door to the nations of the world. So now I look back at a very painful time and I realize now that I have been released painfully from a church to the church. Sam Chan calls it bleedership, bleedership, that the more you're leading, the more you're bleeding. And God uses unexpected changes to reposition you for what God is doing. So it started as a scripture in 1987, and through years and painful experiences later, God has repositioned me to now impact the nations of the world. But I want to say today, friends, as I close, because I've got 46 seconds left, the steps of the godly are directed by the Lord, and He delights in every detail of our lives. And though we stumble, we will not fall, for the Lord holds us by the hand. You may be going through a difficult time at the moment, but I want you to know if your attitude is right, it'll become a defining moment that will shape you, and you will never be the same again. How good was that, church? Come on, put your hands together. Yeah, musicians, please. Do we have a musician in the house? Run.